0: From the North, citizens of Earth, welcome to the forum and another episode in our series exploring esoteric philosophy. We're not done with the Gnostics yet and at the same time we will start an examination of the divine feminine which was present all over the world in ancient times, including within the Gnostic impulses. Now, Gnosticism isn't really a religion as much as it's a way of being in the world, a path to self-realization and integration with a more profound sense of reality, which you therefore can find within several different religions. But hey! Don't listen to me, as this is an excellent opportunity to have Miguel Conner back, our resident Gnostic Hierophant, for a show we've chosen to call Sex, Psychonautics and the Sacred Feminine, where we will discuss all this and more. But warning, a basic familiarity with Gnosis is an advantage, if not required, to profit from this show. So, if you are new to this, at least go back and check out our two other Gnostic shows. Otherwise, you may be lost in all the name dropping and references that saves us time in order to get the conversation forward. If we have to stop and explain them all en route, this episode would take 10 hours. Now, Mr. Corner is host of the incredible podcast Eon Gnostic Radio, which is the number one resource for Gnosticism, ancient and modern in this medium. Everyone who is anyone in the field has been on this outstanding show, from best-selling writers to renowned researchers, from Hollywood directors to rock stars, and his listenership reaches from academic scholars to spiritual dissidents he describes himself as a garage philosopher hedged theologian and a general madman across the waters his life quest is to take his audience from ancient connections to modern meaning under the motto be the strange you want to see in the world Connor is multilingual and has a degree in communications and in philosophy from the University of St. Thomas. His mundane career has been as a journalist, columnist, copywriter, graphic designer, video producer and marketing director. With more than 10 years of experience in marketing as well as 20 years as a professional storyteller in various media. He still does voice work, obviously with such an incredible voice. And his podcasts usually have epic filmatic introductions. His journalistic columns has been featured in, among others, Ask Man Answers, Caring.com, LoanSafe.org and TGM Promotions. His articles and fictions have appeared in such publications as the Gnostic Journal... The Heretic, Mindscape Magazine, Reality Sandwich, The Cimmerian Journal and many others. He is author of the critically acclaimed Voices of Gnosticism and the sequence Other Voices of Gnosticism from Bardic Press, gathering together leading voices on the subject from in-depth conversations with them. He's also the author of the post-apocalyptic vampire epic series The Dark Instinct Trilogy from Warner Books and AB Press as well as the fantasy novel The Executioner's Daughter from Solstice Publishing His fictions are considered a spectacular success for its genre and is cited in prestigious journals His esoteric and philosophical education has mainly been autodidact except for brief affairs with Santo Daime, the Martinist order, Ecclesia Gnostica and even atheism However, his life journey has brought him to such places as Brazil, Tanzania, Mexico, Peru and Portugal but now he lives in the lawful dystopia of the greater Chicago area with his huge family that includes an army of dogs, cats and kids where they are all patiently waiting for the beginning of the world. Welcome back to Forum Borealis Miguel.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, Glad to be back.
0: Very happy to have you back. Uh, I loved the show we did last time. People gave very good feedback. You have this gift, Miguel, of presenting... um, the Gnostics um, in a not just a comprehensible way, but also a interesting way, like a <laughs> like, like you're you're spiking up their endorphins <laughs> every every second uh, minute. So I have high hopes for the show today. But uh, yeah, our last show uh, was pretty popular. Uh, it's just been on YouTube for um, a week. Yeah, a week, uh, and it's right now. It's counting five thousand three hundred and
1: thirty-seven. Oh no! Well, what's wrong with people? What is wrong with people?
0: <laughs> yeah, they should be more. more. But on uh, the podcast channel, it's been there for a while, and we're over 10,000 there, which is quite good for us because we're new at podcasts, so we don't have a big audience there. Uh, um, so I'm expecting um, the YouTube count to settle around, well, a year from now, I'm, I'm guessing like 20,000, and then... Uh, it's probably going to rest around fifty thousand when we're done, but that's a decent uh, reach for such an obscure subject as as what. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's the niche of all niche yeah. movements. <laughs> <I mean. laughs>
0: so today, Miguel, you last time you were teasing them with subject matters that we didn't get around to, and I think we did a good job of uh, shedding light literally on the Archons, and today we are going to delve further into the Gnostics, but this time we're going to have our main focus on the Sacred Feminine, We've done the the Archons, and so I think it's time to take on that. Right. But uh, are you comfortable with going through the Mary Magdalene, Jesus sure. thing? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And the sacred Feminine?
1: Oh, of course. Definitely, I can hang with that. Yeah.
0: Mm, yeah, I think we should focus a little on that. Let's do this. Okay, and this is a subject matter that I have had uh, with others too, and we're going to explore further. You're probably aware of Janet Walter. And Scott Walter?
1: No, I'm not. I must have missed them. Oh. No. Yeah.
0: This is their big thing. Uh, but their angle into it is through Knights Templars, uh, new evidence for, for the Templars and the Proto-Templars. You are focused on the ancient, which is the source. Uh, but they are focused on later survivals of this current um throughout the medieval ages and and the dark ages of Catholicism and basically up until today. So that's perfect because uh, I'll I'll cover that with them, but I'll cover the older stuff now with you.
1: Sure, sure. I do have uh, a little bit to speak about the Templars and the Divine Feminine, but no, let's travel. Let's get on the TARDIS and see where we go.
0: (laughs) Okay. So let's uh, wind the clock back to... Uh, Yeah, how far should we go back when it comes to this? That's
1: a hard one because something Mm. I do want to stress to your audience is that uh, individuals have a preconception of what Judaism is and what Christianity is and so forth, even what paganism is. Mm. But uh, if you really want to approach it right, you really got to throw that out the door and realize that these movements were very fluid there were diverse, there was a multiplicity of views, and there were all these streams running in and out of each other. So uh, I think uh, as far as Gnosticism, we can always talk about uh, it was a resurrection of the divine feminine, and there certainly was a cover-up before that, and the Gnostics sort of, uh, you might say, were the uh, some of... Uh, uh, postulated like Clive Prince, Lynn Pignett, uh, mm. April de Connett, uh carried the secret uh, tradition of the ancient goddess and resurrected it uh, in the Hellenized times with uh, Sophia and other aspects of the Divine Feminine.
0: Yeah, I've always said I, I mean, let's start here because you're so right and this is super important. The fact that today people are very sectarian. Uh, it's like i belong to this they they, we are all into labels on all areas not just religion but uh, you see it in politics and everything lifestyle oh god yeah right and it's so artificial and unnatural and it's a result of the the fake dualism imposed upon us from
1: divide and conquer that's how they rule us exactly
0: yeah so uh my point is if you go back to ancient Greece, for example, you know, my forte in this area is the greek egyptian tradition. That's where I work right. in spiritually. That's what I've studied the most. But I very soon realized there's no hard divisions, like you point out. And when people refer to Hinduism, it's just ignorance because Hinduism is no religion. Hindu is the name of the <laughs> country, it's basically just whatever goes on in India and and but the real definition of Hinduism is paganism, it's just a huge mix of different traditions, currents many of them are internally opposed or, or conflicting or not related historically etc so it's just a huge umbrella of ancient practices which right. I, I argue goes back to the, an antediluvian civilization but the same Is true for ancient Greek or or Roman or Egyptian or Norse or whatever. All these were just different currents of belief systems, which all were, like you say, fluctuating, often related. A, A chap like Yehoshua Bar Mariam would if he encountered an initiated Buddhist, immediately start exchanging insights and wisdom. Wouldn't think of, where's your membership card? Are you belonging to the right <laughs> religion? No. You're a wise man. I recognize you as such. And therefore let's exchange wisdom. And this is why, not just Jesus but all the great sages they had this thing of traveling. Like my, one of my favorites is Apollonius of Tiana. He went all the way to India. following in Pythagoras' footprint. So they did this. They traveled everywhere to gain as much insight into the mysteries that they could because they didn't have internet. (laughs) 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 So that's a good point.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Okay, Uh, let alone that rant. I want to recommend a book to you if you haven't read it. It's called The Jesus Documents by Michael Begant.
1: Yes, I've, I've, it's come to my attention recently in different synchronicities and places. So I'll definitely have to go check it out.
0: You do. Because, you know, whatever we want to say about Begin's involvement in certain other things, he's a sincere author and this is probably his best book. And what it is, it is a review of all the suppressed because what people don't know when ancient stuff pops up it doesn't end up in a university normally or a public library or I mean a museum or something like that usually it's on the black market or uh, like billionaires collectors or special interest groups they try to seize these things and there's so much ancient documents that are not available to us. But Begin does a good job going through uh, many of them. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, most of them are incomplete, etc. And what he proves, to me at least, is that there was a living tradition. Living tradition 2,000 years ago about Jesus and Mary. And now we're entering Da Vinci Code area. (laughs) Of course, people think it's fiction because of that novel. But as always, what the, he did, the author, he took stuff from reality and made it into fiction. I mean, that's why, th- th- that always happens. That's why we, we say stuff like reality is better than fiction, right?
1: Right. Yeah, our minds are made of stories. That's how we really uh, engage with uh, reality. Right.
0: But but that's your cue, because <laughs> I, I want you to tell us something about Jesus and Mary, why were they playing up to this sacred marriage notion?
1: Well, as you said, uh, this I think you answered the part of the question, uh, mm. the, the idea of the Herogamos, that uh, the divine king and queen had to be together. I mean, we can go even to the times of Plato and the Timaeus with the myth of the Hermaphrodite, where... Well, there was a time when the human being was uh, one being and he was supreme and scared the gods. So this hermaphrodite had to be torn apart and, and, uh, They, this, these two halves are always seeking each other for a union. It's a great story or symbol of uh, unification. Yeah. Just as our minds would like to be unified, just as our emotions would like to be unified, just as we hope the land will be unified. King Arthur and Guinevere. So uh this is a great archetypal story that was uh, around in those days. And again it's called the the hirogamos. Uh, and of course, you have uh, the idea of the philosophers, you've got the, the logos, which is the the reason principle of the universe. And on the other hand, you've got uh, holy wisdom, which is the mm. the intuitive, descriptive, interpretive, Uh, part of the universe of of divinity of our minds. And uh, the Gnostics certainly were very much into stressing that the idea of the Logos, which is, uh, again, another name for Jesus, Jesus plays the Logos in the Gospel of John and in much of Christian tradition, and the idea of wisdom which plays a huge part in uh, Gnosticism, but was part of the Hebrew tradition and other movements, you can have uh, holy wisdom and divine reason together, then what we get is, uh, again, peace, unification, uh, enlightenment, uh, transcending, and uh, just good stuff. <laughs> and uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene definitely play This role, so it's many levels: the 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 holy marriage, the hierogamos, reason and logos, the great story of unification, uh, the soul joining with the spirit, and so much more.
0: Yeah. Now, if uh, if it's true that um, a part of this mystery was maintained by the Gnostics and also by Jesus and Mary then it has to point to something older. And, you know, there's different claims out there. Some say that the Gnostics weren't really Christians. I, I guess this boils down to definition questions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some say that uh, they were, but they were also integrating older stuff. And those Gnostics who emphasized this aspect certainly must be building on older traditions, don't you think?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. uh. Certainly, one of the traditions that we're building on is the idea of God having God having a wife. There being a goddess tradition to uh, pair up with the God tradition. When you look at the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. You see in Proverbs, uh, in the wisdom literature, which is found in the Catholic Bible, not the Protestant Bible, mm. you see these you see this figure called wisdom there. And uh, as much as whoever was rewriting these texts wanted to make it into a metaphor or hypostasis of God, the truth is you really do see a figure that is wisdom, and she is law. Sapientia, right? Yeah, in Latin, sapientia, in Hebrew it would be chokmah. And this figure is, uh, well, it's a figure on her own. And as you look deeper, or as you keep looking at the, the text, you see, they talk about the Ashira groves. And this is not a name of a place, but an actual goddess, the goddess Ashira, which was a fertility and wisdom god to the ancients. Even if you go even deeper, you start seeing in Proverbs and other places, they talk about this strange woman who's very sexual and very dark. And uh, this goes back to perhaps uh, the goddess Anat or the Egyptian goddess Sekhmet, this, uh, yeah. the shadow side of the wisdom goddess, which the Gnostics call Akama, the wisdom of death. And you see this dual aspect goddess that's been hidden. And uh, you could easily say by uh this wisdom goddess that was hidden was later resuscitated or preserved by the Gnostics, who, as scholars are not pointing pointing out, the Gnostics were shamanistics. Mm. They believed that all ritual had to be ecstatic, out of body, uh, very Dionysian. So they were the Gnostics uh, as some again i'm leaning on a lot of scholarship here yep. were were this ecstatic holistic uh, ancient magical tradition that was able to so go undercover or as one of, one of the many streams of judaism and emerged as the christian gnostics later in the 1st 2nd century and as i mean even speculating even further we could easily say that Jesus was this carrier of this holy tradition as well as Simon Magus. And, if, and this mm-hmm. tradition wasn't just, uh, I think we were talking about Tobias Churton He very much writes how not only to keep the goddess tradition, but also to keep this magical tradition to fight uh, what the Gnostics call the Archons. Of course, they were known as the Nephilim or the Watchers. In other words, to keep a spiritual guard against the dark forces out there.
0: Right. When you say wife of God... last time we problematized the concept of God so are you referring to Yod H V H or are you who are you referring to as the concept of God here
1: well, then that's, that, that, that really depends on the times, the philosopher's god, uh, <laughs> the ancient storm god, Yahweh. I would say depending on your culture, who do you see as the highest aspect of divinity? This obviously changes with the times and the culture, but uh, it is a people's view of what is the highest aspect of uh, the divine realms. I think what we see as God today, even in the 21st century, is uh, closer or how we're catching up to the east in our concept of God, but there's always an evolution, there's an evolution of consciousness, but in those times it would be Yahweh although, however, saying this we must keep in mind that uh, the philosophers knew that uh, Zeus and all these stories were simply uh, metaphors they were symbols of mm. uh, something greater so i'm sure the ancient shamans and philosophers even in christianity and judaism also knew that these were stories that there was something much more higher and powerful but again it's admitted that that uh, the divine has two aspects the feminine and the masculine
0: Right, but those Gnostics who considered Jehovah to be a false god, mm. I'm assuming, wouldn't say that Sophia is his counterpart.
1: No, no, no. Again, uh, to the when the Gnostics came about, and uh, the the view seemed more like what you see in Paul and the Book of Enoch mm. and, and other writings that the god created this world, but it's it was mismanaged by these fallen angels. Uh, right. Paul calls on the powers and the principalities, the, the god of this world. Uh, he says the word archons uh, in, the, in the original Greek. So uh, they saw that the world was mismanaged by these fallen angels or that they had certainly started sort of their own guerrilla war <laughs> down here mm. on earth. The Gnostics, they took it much more radically said no 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 we're not even gonna give a break to the world this world was created by this fallen angel or demon or false god called well they called him the demiurge they associated him with yahweh but in other texts they also associate him with saturn with osiris they said these creator gods really screwed up creation in the universe and they trapped us because we hold this divine spark from an upper god and Sophia is down here as part of the rescue operation to free us from the Matrix or the Truman Show or this Westworld or whatever you <laughs> want to call it, this bad software. Yeah. So then again, the Gnostics really took it to a very punk rock uh, Matrix extreme.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get back to the dark forces, but let me ask you this. Um, in Theosophy... Not just there, but they are like a populist expression of this notion. There is this idea that human kind is 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 uh, humanity is much older than we're getting credit for, <laughs> <laughs> and that originally we were one gender. Are you familiar with that concept? That there was a gender split in a revolution into male, female.
1: No, but I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, this idea exists, again, Plato, the Mm. Kabbalah, even in Zoroastrianism. And was it in Hinduism? It's the Purusha, the primal man. So yeah, this is something that was, it's the wisdom of the ages, if you would, the perennial philosophy.
0: Right, right. So So my point is, did any of the Gnostics entertain that notion?
1: Very much so. I mean, you have, um, again, every time I say Kabbalah, you can say that the Kabbalah definitely mainlines classic Gnosticism. Yeah, but
0: also Pythagoreanism. Uh, yeah. It's a huge ripoff from
1: Pythagoras. Yes. Yeah. Very much. I mean, uh, Pythagoras, was uh, he was deputized by a Mongolian shaman. So he was into ecstatic uh, shit. I hope you don't mind me swearing. No, no, go ahead. Okay, good. And uh, the Gnostics were accused by the church fathers of being sons of Pythagoras and all that. So, But in their text, they definitely talk about this primal man that is uh, that is, uh, especially the Manichaeans that is out there. That's the great idealized version. And um, even Adam is seen as basically uh, this worm. And it's only until Sophia goes into him that he is completely alive. And uh, really, a divine being, and of course, then the demiurge has to sort of split him open into Sophia, Eve, and Adam. So, but yeah, you you do you do you do see a lot of this. Uh, in also, and the Gnostics are very much into sort of this uh, gender bending. The Archons are hermaphrodites. Uh, the Aeons are uh, genderless. And uh, they're very strange about the, how they do that. Of course, in their philosophy, it's like, yes, we want to break all these genders down. But at the end of the day, we want to transcend them.
0: Yeah. So um, I mentioned to you the Jesus documents uh Of And I would also now mention Peter Kingsley's book, um, Reality. You know, what's it called? Yeah, I think it's called Reality. He also has one called In the Dark Places of Wisdom. Now, what do all these books do? Beggins too. Is to point out this practice, uh, shamanic practice done by ancients. uh, Like uh, incubation was a big thing. Um, for the Pythagoreans and the Platonists, it was the Hesha style incubation. But basically, you go into a cave. It's like a, it's like a yogic practice. You you lay dead there, or, or not actually dead, but close to dead for for days. You don't drink. You don't eat. No, nothing. You just lie there in complete silence. That was. Uh, this is a hint of a technique they used to to travel to the other side and this yes is common to shamanism but uh, you say that Adam was split to Sophia Eve and Adam I I mean at least two genders there is a story of how humans became from one gender to two gender I'm surprised you mentioned Sophia but (laughs) what about the concept of Lilith does that have any space in the Gnostic
1: uh, currents uh, that's a good question. Uh, when you see a lot of the Gnostic texts, uh, again, as the, as the Hebrew Bible has this sort of dual aspect goddess, a and Anat, uh, you know, the, the creative wisdom aspect, the nurturing, but also the destructive warlike, uh, I'm nature so I can give and take and then screw who I want. Mm-hmm. you uh, which of course in Hinduism has them you know obviously satki and kali and all that but you had that in the hebrew tradition and gnosticism starts changing it you've got the higher sophia and then you've got the lower, which uh, some groups call the Wisdom of Death, and or Akamoth. She is sort of this darker aspect of wisdom. I mean, again, the Gnostics were Jung before Jung, so everything has yeah. to cast a shadow. So you do have this sort of uh, split, dark Sophia, or divine feminine. I mean, again, they were certainly part of the mystical traditions of those times. I mean, even the... You were talking about the shamanistic rituals. You can read some of their uh, texts, uh, the reconstructions of the texts, and that's what they were doing. The paratics, the ophites, the serpent-worshipping Gnostics. Mm. You would uh, recreate this image, and I know I'm sure many of your listeners will think of the mystery religions, and you would go down to Hades and have to face all these demons and dark gods and basically die but then in this uh, ritual, if you could go through there, this pruning, this inc- not just incubation, but the pruning of who you were, and the and the temporal aspects of yourself then you would go right through into a stargate
0: right. and the
1: stargate led to the higher realms and obviously in their texts uh, there would be jesus would be your guide sophia might be your guide in some it was hermes right even yeah, the, yeah, so yeah. with the famous. christians it's like hermes would lead you to the divine realms
0: yeah and this is uh, in the mystery tradition this is called a psychopomp Right, and there are different uh, great figures that has that role, but I'm, I mean Hermes probably more than anyone. <laughs> was Oh a yeah, yeah. T- he's
1: one of my main deities, and obviously, <laughs> mine too. As I say, he was he influenced the Christian Gnostics, and of course, he was the the foundation of Hermeticism, Pagan Gnosticism. Yeah.
0: Right, right. So, okay. So you define hermeticism as pagan narcissism. That's interesting. But what you said there, people should realize that you really spilt the beans. You're probably getting beaten up 2000 years ago for saying what you did. Yes, I would. Because, <laughs> because it's so true. It is all about unlocking the key of the psychonaut to travel in a real way, not in a fake way like many new ages do. And no. Egyptians did this. They, they were in the yes. pyramids doing this. I mean, I'm assuming they went all the way to Sirius and <laughs> Orion.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. yes. Uh, riding the Ouroboros, the snake. Yeah, exactly. beyond the stars.
0: The Milky Way, right? And this yeah. is, this is also, so of course, it's a shamanic practice, right? Uh, traveling to the underworld and the overworld. But the interesting stuff is that they had precise astronomical knowledge in addition. So this isn't just airy-fairy, spiritualizing matter, because how could they know, for example, that our galaxy is revolving around what they call a central sun? So Some ancient sources call it that. Some call it a black sun, but basically there is, our sun is just a small sun who is whirling around a bigger sun and without revealing too much, I think a it's safe to, to leak that uh, the different levels of initiation had also to do with different levels of consciousness that you could fuse with. For example, yes, you had to fuse with our sun, but that wasn't the end. <laughs> that was just a step <laughs> to a higher sun, etc. But this is getting uh, technically complicated, and it's not a road I think we should go too far down. But, <laughs> but just mention it, so uh, having it there.
1: Yeah, I mean, think, uh, whether it's shamanism or gnosticism, at the end of the day, stop, listen, you've got to experience it.
0: Yeah, exactly. You can't read your, or ev- no. even listen to us to get anywhere. But <laughs> uh, in- information is the first step, so... At least we're making them aware. Exactly. Now you mentioned also um, this. Um, well, I, actually, I didn't get a clear answer from you on the Lilith thing. Is that something? Oh, that-
1: you're right. You did not. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, no. I would say. I mean, I was reading some of the the Zohar, and it's interesting you that in the Zohar you had uh, the serpent is uh, also is sort of a, a demon. And causes havoc or wreaks havoc in the garden. And then uh, God gets so mad. He splits up the serpent into Samael and Lilith. And we have the shadow side of the primal man or the hermaphrodite. And they are separated and they, they spend history trying to get together uh, while they're doing their evil on earth. And once they are together, that will bring about the end, the, the true apocalypse. Mm. So, but in Gnosticism, the name Lilith or the reference of Lilith really doesn't exist. Uh, they they do talk in some texts about uh, the Watchers and the Nephilim here and there, but not, no, not Lilith.
0: But surely they must have been aware of Lilith.
1: Uh, not that I know of. Again... When we talk about streams, we start talking, I like to divide it into, again, the divine wisdom and the dark wisdom. Mm-hmm. And you have this stream of, again, Ishtar, Anat, Sekhmet, uh, um, Asherah, and so forth. And you have these aspects, but or and Saibel, and they all sort of flow in and out, and different uh, kingdoms and groups would sort of uh, see this goddess or rebrand them. For example, one of the goddesses who I would say is definitely a representation of Anat, the dark wisdom, would be Athena, the patron of Athens. Because when you look at Athena, she is an evil bitch. Yeah. I mean, she the way she treats Medusa, the way she treats humans and other gods— and at the end of the day, it's not that she's evil, but she is, again, the the chaotic, uh, destructive, sensual part of the divine feminine. Obviously, yeah. the Greeks decided that Athena was not going to have a consort. <laughs> but uh, so, again, these goddesses, same with Lilith and others, they sort of manifest here and there. And they're all part of the same strength. So, so
0: they didn't need Lilith. <laughs> what? They didn't need Lilith.
1: No, Well, obviously, the the Jews and the Kabbalists needed this myth. Uh, Probably from Babylon they got it, and Mm. uh, it was part of their tradition.
0: But uh, why why I'm interested in Lilith is that when we're talking about gender, she appears very early in the scene of the, I, I guess it's an extended creation story, right? A Genesis story, and... What she represents is interesting, and and what role she has. So she was present already before Eve. Correct. But if an interpretation of the gender aspect of mysticism is, well, one of them, there's many aspects here, and you can probably tell more, but one very important aspect of why this matters is that... As Jung, uh, of course, is famous for also have these closing. There's no such thing as a hundred percent male or a hundred percent female. We all have, like, we who have external male <laughs> have an internal femaleness <laughs> and opposite yeah. for, for the women. So she kind of I- introduces that concept that, okay, Adam is, is just one gender, but there is a femininity present. And when you point to the dark aspects of the feminine, like in the case of Athena, actually, I wouldn't call her evil either. I would call her merciless.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah, it's like nature. Nature is merciless. Mother nature.
0: And like... Hell knows no fury. (laughs) Right? We can say that. I mean, if we can swear, we can also be... (laughs) Yes. I mean, we're not sexist, actually, because we're just saying, women can bust your balls as much as a man.
1: (laughs) Just call it stereotyping. (laughs) That's an easy...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. Everybody knows. you do
1: have a good point. Um, Yeah. I just found a way to connect Lilla to Gnosticism. I think this goes to more of the... The trickster God or the right. fallen angel motif, which we've touched upon, right. because obviously the the rabbi saw that there were two creation stories. Adam, the first man got split up and then it disappeared. She disappears and there's Adam in the second account of Genesis and uh, God has to make a help meet. And that's Eve. Mm. So, the rabbi said, well, what happened to God's first wife? I mean, sorry, Adam's first wife. And so, then these stories came about that she wouldn't have sex with him in missionary position, or she was, she had to be submissive, so she was cast out of the garden, and she became sort of a scourge against civilization. Hmm. Where does this story come from? In the Gnostic myths, if some have said, uh, Sophia is also a fallen woman. She is... Uh, she is in the divine realm and she commits a transgression. The transgression is, uh, she wanted to know without the consent of her consort, her other aeon. And, uh, some have said, even James Robinson, who's one of the original translators of the Nag Hammadi Library, he said, does that mean she wanted to know something or she wanted to have sex without her, her partner? She wanted to masturbate. She wanted to be free and explore her sexuality. And that's why she was cast out of the divine realm. It's a possibility. Mm. So there is a connection of the, the fallen being, whether it's uh, Lucifer, Prometheus. We have a female aspect, like Inanna, where they decide, no, I'm going to make my stand against the traditional order, and for that I will be thrown out. Obviously, Sophia falls more like the Coyote or Hermes or Loki because she helps humanity but she also, often in these texts, she ends up also, like Athena, punishing humanity or being kind of vicious with humans. So, she falls more. Lilith, as far as I know, she just wants to hurt people, especially babies, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's interesting. In in Kabbalah, they have this notion. Uh, this I have from um, Gershom Skolan. But, of course, there's, like we said in the beginning, it's not just the Gnostics that are a diverse band of You can say that for all isms, whether hermetism, Kabbalism, etc. So I'm not saying this is true for all Kabbalists, but there is this notion that if you masturbate, a man masturbates and spills his semen on the ground, to paraphrase the Bible, then what happens is that you attract... uh, not exactly demons i think it's unborn souls or something there's like a bad thing happening and they attach themselves to you like uh, glued spirits or something are you familiar with this uh, idea and i think this is a, like yeah. a reversal of the gnostic uh, concepts maybe or
1: yeah yes i've heard of the idea obviously in the gnostic sexual rights uh you were meant to uh, spill your seed and make it holy. A, it was a way of uh, rebelling against the structure of the universe, rebelling against the tradition of Yahweh or the demiurge. The other one was to make the mundane, the profane into something holy, to offer up these substances that were part of the the circle of life, or the, I call it the circle jerk of archons, the terrible <laughs> situation that is nature, and make this to something holy and beautiful same with uh, menstrual blood and uh, other substances and then offer it up to the divine and in the gnostic uh, one of the gnostic myths you have sophia she's actually called uh, prunoya in this myth she's the divine wisdom she comes down onto the world this beautiful figure and the archons the rulers of this war, this universe the fallen angels they get so aroused they start jerking off right. the, when they jerk off they lose their own substance their
0: life force their yes. own
1: power and she takes that power up and weakens the archons yes
0: yes their life force is in the exactly. in the semen it's interesting because um, you know in the neo there are some that are emphasizing the sexual aspect more than others And one such agnostic group is the EGC, Ecclesia Gnostica Catholica, which is uh, one of many, many, many neognostic groups. They all are called EG something. I've been present on their mass once. And it's interesting because the goddess, she sits there behind the veil and then a man presents a spear to her. Or a rod. And, and I'm not disclosing secrets here because this is uh, basically a public available. Anyone can attend if they know who and where. So she starts masturbating the rod and it's gradually getting raised up like a stiff limb. I mean, nothing is said to get these ideas, but <laughs> unless you're blind and deaf, <laughs> you know what's going on. Yeah. So that's a preservation of 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 this principle. But uh, you mentioned Lucifer, and I was going to ask you, because I didn't ask you last time, do the Gnostics, do they have a concept of Lucifer and Satan? And would that just be the Demiurge, or do they have any more...
1: Uh, no it would uh, for the earlier ones first second century and so it is the demiurge and mm. the fallen angels and the Nephilim those are the bad guys or the 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 enemy the the bond the bond villain if you would but uh, towards some of the groups especially the ones in Rome that were intermingling with the rising catholic church satan does make <clears throat> excuse me satan does make an appearance but he's still you might say he still has that hebrew view where he's just sort of the prosecutor he's the challenger he's yeah. the guy that pushes your boundaries because even in some of the what The New Testament always talks about that only the demons recognize Jesus, that uh, the demons can quote scripture, that Lucifer is an angel of light. So they saw the Demiurge as really still sort of an ignorant, bumbling god, uh, a union thug or government administrator, <laughs> if you would, mm. with a penchant for rape. Mm -hmm. Um, They saw Satan as still somebody who had who could see the spiritual realm and in in some way was working. Now, later on in history, as we go down to history and there's more suppression, the Gnostics are being wiped out uh, across the world. Uh, There's huge tectonic shifts from the rise of the Muslim Empire, follow the Persians, so forth. Suddenly, Satan does. Take the role of the demiurge by the time of the Bogomils and the Cathars. Yes, right. Satan is basically the creator of the world and he has all the roles of the demiurge.
0: So, so for just so people know, for the Bogomils and the Qatars, then we're talking like me- medieval ages, closer to 12th century, yeah, 12th, century,
1: yeah. Yeah, 12, 11th century or so.
0: Yeah, so uh, it's not really original as much as it is a survival at that point. But um, we did talk briefly about the Gospel of Judas last time, and I see a parallel here, because this notion of Satan as the controller, as the headmaster, you know, have you washed your hands? If not, <laughs> you can't enter the canteen right right? so you get a smack on your fingers and that's just a a function everybody knows the two types of teachers i remember jocelyn goodwin wrote a good article about that you have the saturnian type and you have the hermetic type the hermetic type teacher he's he's alive he's he's teaching you by uh, you know spontaneous stuff emotional stuff it's all alive whereas the saturnian type he's stiff He sticks to the rules. (laughs) (laughs) He he follows the book,
1: right? The harsh uncle. And
0: so, yeah, and we can demonize him all we want. It's so easy. And especially you and me are both hermetic types, so we would be prone to it. But then we can also recognize, no, no, he has a function. He has a needed function to maintain the system. Now, my point is, you could say the same about Judas. Because if, and we haven't discussed this yet, but if Jesus and Mary had this ritual, marriage and everything was symbolic in in what they did then you could also say and I, and so mean this for the crucifixion too that it was just a ritual he was going through
1: yeah i understand now
0: then you can say also that Judas's role was also ritual that he was supposed to be that that he didn't betray jesus but that he took that role of being the uh, quote unquote betrayer uh, and, and in that perspective, he has a kind of an unthankful duty, just like uh, Satan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I try not to bring Judas in because I always think there's a, again, there's a cover-up because Judas Thomas in the Gospel of Thomas and other texts is the brother of Jesus. Some sort of vilification going on. And uh, even the Gospel of Judas, it's still not clear whether Judas is a hero, a necessary uh, fool for fate, or he has a karmic role, or he's actually an incarnation of the Demiurge. As some have said, Uh, he is actually trying to destroy Jesus. And the Gospel of Judas is, wow. Wow. I always think God Lovecraft would be jealous because yeah. <laughs> at the end of the gospel of Judas, when time runs out and the Demiurge is like, man, this is it. Mm. He goes on a killing spree and kills every liv- living thing in this universe, just chops them up and devours like Cthulhu or Hastur or wow. one of those. So, and, but Jeez. it's a very dark. Yeah. And uh, the Jesus is always telling people you're sacrificing to this bloodlust thirsty god that wants to eat and the, the church you're all fools and this and that and he jesus is rejected yes he is destroyed but it's he tells judas yeah you destroy my physical shape i'm just gonna go back to the eternal realm and it doesn't mm. it doesn't have a happy ending
0: <laughs> okay is, is that a document that is like are, are we not talking about different sources or is this just one big story
1: Well, the the gospel, yeah, the gospel of Judah, since it's relatively new, there are different translations. There are arguments over the translations and what it means. But, uh, that is sort of the, the gist of the story. But again, uh, there probably will be more translations as, you know, even as scholars have said, let's say something, the most probably remarkable divine feminine text in the history of humanity is Thunder, the perfect mind from the Nag Hammadi library. Right. the one scholar said we have a we need about 20 translations till we start really start uh mining for true insights because every scholar brings a different context a translation connects it and all these translations start complementing each other we don't have 2000 years to really no. like to get a good version of the gospel of john yeah. we're still just starting with many of these texts
0: yeah, unlike the, the accepted gospels that they've discussed and dissected for, for yeah, millennials.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes.
0: But uh, this is interesting because you have a spiritual uh, component in most mystical um, lore, which is the paradox. So, when you mention Thunder Perfect Mind, uh, I mean, every other sentence is a paradox. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, I am this, and then I am that, which is the opposite, right? So, here they're playing with polarity, which is also related to gender. Right. And that could be also a, a function in the Gospel of Judas, then, if it's internally uh, incongruent. It could be a result of, of, of um, a deliberate paradox being put in
1: yeah I mean there's uh, again like you just said paradoxes work they're like Koans. yeah you also have the idea of negative theology to get your mind out of attaching yourself to these concepts which yeah. uh helps and also but also with thunder the perfect mind or the thunder perfect mind however we want to call it. You also see, again, the sort of dual aspects of the goddess, because she, in one point, she is uh, beautiful and victorious, but at the next one, she is fallen and abused, but she's also warlike and is going to bring vengeance eventually to humanity. So you have this amazing interplay of the dark and light goddess in it, and it is remarkable because in all these erotologies you find throughout history across the world, it's rarely... I don't think there are instances where the goddess will actually admit how much in pain she is, how depressed she is, how how low she has fallen, and how she's been abused, uh, at, while at the same time extolling how powerful and uh, divine and how victorious she will eventually be. So it's a it's a remarkable text. Hmm. Interesting. Gods don't like to admit their 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 shortcomings or when they've made a mistake. You know. <laughs> mm,
0: mm. By the way, did you ever read Tobias Churton's book on sex agnostics? Oh, yeah.
1: Yes, I did. It's a good book. I
0: have it, but I haven't read it.
1: It's a good book. But you approve. Yes, yes. Uh, There is some things he misses, but I can fill in the spaces. Mm. But it's nice. uh, Most scholars tiptoe around the whole sex magic thing but it's uh i would say it's i would say it it, it, it was happening yeah <laughs> <laughs> In all confidence.
0: We discussed briefly before we went on here, as you may recall, I may have a full show with uh, Tobias on it, but um, maybe we could go a little into that stuff too.
1: Sure, sure, of course.
0: Okay, so we'll do that now. All right. So uh, what about the concept of celibacy? Did that have any... Because, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Schurten's book on the sex agnostics, the opposite notion is the celibacy. And I seem to recall, I read somewhere that was it the cathars there was someone who identified as gnostics who practiced celibacy and and also you have the gender mutilation um that also has happened in the history were, were there any gnostic currents that cut off the dicks
1: Not on purpose. (laughs) Okay. No, I think, yeah, that's definitely origin, right? The church father who castrated himself because in the Bible it says you got to be eunuchs to get to heaven or some weirdness like that. No, uh, there were certainly... um, Encretite or celibate Gnostic groups, uh, the Manichaeans, Cathars, uh, even in ancient times, it was completely voluntary. You had the the perfects, the one who made a commitment to becoming celibate, vegetarian, and to live a very monkish or uh, guru-type life. Uh, existence but then you had the hearers which was the outer circle Augustine of Hippo was a Manichean hearer but since he had a sex addiction he could never make the plunge which is you know this famous prayer oh oh lord make me celibate but not just yet I used to be that way right God I just want one more drink one Uh, more line uh, of coke and then I'll go to rehab (laughs) So that's, that's human nature for you but the thing that it's important to stress is that and why people sometimes get frustrated with me is they ask, well, what what Gnostic ritual should I do? And I always tell them, do whatever you want. I mean, yeah. I can't, the one thing about Gnostic, it's not going to give you a set of rituals. In other words, you start with the ecstatic experience, and then you kind of got to work your way back through the self-knowledge to find out what your spiritual constitution is. That's why the gnostics always had all these lodges spread around the world or the the roman empire and the christian domains muslim domains because they would have small lodges with varying uh, types of rituals. Some believed that sex magic could release you into an ecstatic uh, state of mind and you could travel the planes. Your divine spark would make contact with the Supreme Consciousness. Others thought, no, contemplation, meditation, living a disciplined life was the way. Others thought, no, the sacraments are good. We'll try that. Others thought, well, in theogens is the way to do it. We're going to take these mind-altering yeah. substances. So the, in Gnosticism, it's what, as John Lennon said, whatever gets you through the night. You know what gets you out of your mind and into the mind of God. Nobody else should tell you, So, but here's a whole menu of things. Like I said, start with the ecstasy and work your way back through self-knowledge. What works for you?
0: Yeah. Now, this is good advice for unaffiliated Gnostics, but let's not beat around the bush. We have to admit that if you join a specific Gnostic... I don't know if organization is the right word, movement. Uh, I mean, just that is a paradox in itself, right? <laughs>
1: but if <laughs> no, you do... No, well, not really. We were talking about... Remember, we talk, And I, I said the Hermetics were pagan uh, Gnostics. Yeah. I, I could call them Egyptian Gnostics, but yeah. the Christian Gnostics also thrived in Alexandria. But the, in the Hermetic tradition, which is probably, uh, I would say, the genesis of all Gnosticism, you always start with the Hierophant, as we're talking a, a adept of hermes and this individual has a small group and he starts with the teachings and then the teachings have the coded rituals and then the group gets together yeah. and finds her so these type of uh, hierophants these egyptian priests that had the lore of ancient egypt They were there in Alexandria and they probably all had their groups and these groups turned into franchises and so forth. So, I mean, yes, obviously later on, the Manichaeans and the Cathars still kind of had that system, that franchise uh, anarchist chapter thing, uh, gurus and lodges. But uh, I think that's really the core of how the Gnostics practiced, or if you want to call it a structure. The Manichaeans had a huge organization, but it was still very loose.
0: Yeah. So my point is, if, if you per today identify as a Gnostic and you join some kind of Gnostic community, you don't need that question, what should I do? Because you're provided with suggestions for and usually they are organized like schools with, right. with levels, classes, degrees, whatever you want to call it. And as you move through the degrees, you're supposed to, I mean, we're just humans. Nobody can be a spiritual judge to another sister or brother, right? right? But in these, mm. within these schools, they give you the tools and then whatever you do with them is up to you and how far it can take you. A Neo, neophy- like, you, you know, Herman has this classical book, Journey to the Easter, to the East, where it ended up that the neophyte, the servant of the whole group was really the secret master. <laughs> <laughs> Love so, it. So you can never go by exter- but whereas the Catholic is completely opposite. There's the hierarchy. I, who's the exterior king? You have to bow to him. It's a strict right. fascist system where you have to go through. The exterior defines your level. Where are you? How, how long have you been in this system? How much power do you have? That's what, but in Gnostic groups, although they may seem hierarchical just because they, uh, follow levels, but that's a reflection of the level of the awareness, increased enlightenment of the soul and not meant to be a suppressive apparatus like in organized monotheism. So I, I think that's important to emphasize. Yeah. Although you could, uh, of course, argue how much do we need gnostic communities in today? Couldn't you just do it alone? Um, I guess you could, but it's going to be, it's going to be more work, I think. Uh, reinventing the wheel than <laughs> just standing on the shoulders of your predecessors. And I, I guess that's also why people should listen to shows
1: like yours. Yeah, I wouldn't I would Because they're mind. getting educated,
0: <laughs> uh, which will help their personal journey, is my view.
1: Yeah, I mean, as uh, as uh a scholar, April DeConics, said the Gnostics had a throw everything in the kitchen sink. In other words, uh, you have to have a broad menu of spiritual practices. I believe spiritual practices that work yesterday stop working tomorrow because this is the Maya that we live in. Mm-hmm. And if you really are serious about uh, transcending this world or making contact with higher planes or just being individualized. Uh, you you really always have to have a a full uh, arsenal or toolbox of spiritual practices that you work and they should be calibrated to what works for you and tweaked as you go so and i think that's that was probably how these gnostic lodges with the the, again with the herophant the hermetic herophant teaching his students and some said well i don't like this guy i'm going to go down the street in Alexandria and go talk to the not do a secret knock on the door and go talk to this next Guy. Mm, <laughs> mm.
0: That's an excellent way of them surviving.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, there was one. I don't know if we mentioned last time, but you had the, the individual called Marcus the Magician in the second century. He went to France and he used to offer this uh, this wine spiked with drugs. And it, he, uh, most of his congregation were women, and they would go in these ecstatic trances and uh, so forth. But he had this system where they would uh, throw lots to change who was who. In other words, one week, uh, somebody would be the bishop, the other one would be the person wow. uh, helping seat people, one would carry this. So your roles always changed every week. Nice. I thought that's a cool way to go. And it didn't matter if you're a man, woman, rich or poor, yeah. they you just threw lots.
0: Yeah, that's certainly a vaccine against power trips and egos, mm-hmm, letting yeah. uh, positions go to the mind. Would you say there was a conflict between those who tended towards celibacy in their philosophy and those who tended towards sexuality?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, within the Gnostics. Yeah, definitely within the Gnostics. In the second century, you had uh, the Carpocratians, and they were the ones who believed, uh, well, very, as the Frankian Jews today, as the Persian Mazdakites, that you had to experience all this sin to escape the world. What does Jesus say? I think the Gospel of Luke, you will not leave this world until you pay the last farthing. So they took it as like, we got to just experience everything, clean our karma, and then we can transcend this world. It's, I think, what did Crowley call it? Uh, Salvation through transgression. And again, yeah. you find this in Kabbalistic systems, Persian systems, Hindu systems, but You had the groups like that and the Simonians with the offering up of the semen. You had all these groups with their tweaking of sex and sexual rituals later on in the third century. Ancretism uh, starts to become popular. It's like it's you know it's like uh, fashions. You know, yeah. one generation likes this, the next one likes this, and even in the Gnostics, the rituals start getting very, uh, very conservative. There's no sex in it. There is still the idea of a shamanistic travel, but it's more about don't eat, don't drink, uh, do all these kind things to your neighbor, and then bright, bef- wear white during the ritual, and. Uh, And stuff. And then even the texts, you have texts like the Pista Sophia and others Mm. start slamming homosexuality and other things. And it's not that they were, it wasn't a social stance, is that they were slamming the previous Gnostics who were again involved in these orgies and they were saying no no and in <laughs> fact the bitch sophia starts talking about no don't you can't release your semen you've got to keep it in you even bef- right before your orgasm and so forth That's so tantric. you have yeah yeah you have a shift in the 3rd and 4th century with the gnostics and, and they're, they're also, also slamming, slamming the, the previous gnostics, gnostics. they're saying so no, no this, this is, is the way, way you get, get gnosis, gnosis. <laughs>
0: All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. So, our mutual friend Alex, he's been on a crusade. Against evil, as you probably picked up.
1: Yes, I interviewed him on him.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he and I guess he interviewed you on it too, and and he did with me too. That show isn't out yet, but we got very good feedback. We went everywhere philosophically. Now he mentioned to me, I think it was in that show, or he did it in private, or in one of our bonus recording behind-the-scenes talks that oh, right. I think it was Jacob Frank and not Sabatia Sevi. Sevi was the, for you people listening, Sevi was a uh, uh, predecessor of Jacob Frank. Uh, no, he okay. lived in Istanbul, but Jacob Frank lived in, in I think it was Austria or Germany, and he he says that, you mentioned it briefly, which is why I'm um, taking it up with you now, that they had this idea that okay, there's only two ways to get back to paradise. One is everybody becoming good and spiritualized and uh, (laughs) transcendent. (laughs) Now you can look at at the world and you'll be forgiven to be a pessimist. (laughs) And that's exactly what they realized too. Oh, and the, the other way is let's everything go to hell. Let's just destroy as much as possible, just spread as much evil as possible. And by that, we'll bounce back to heaven. And because of that... Alex sees a potential conspiracy here. He thinks this philosophical idea has survived, and that they are trying to ruin the world basically in order to get back to heaven. You have any thoughts about this
1: i wouldn't I would not discount it. I don't know if I subscribe to it. Uh, mm. I was thinking. There was a ancient Gnostic sect uh, called the Cainites who thought Cain was the good guy. They had this ritual to destroy the world. They thought that they could bring down heaven and completely shatter this world and free all the souls. In later texts, these Gnostics, and again, there there were groups, you can tell they're very angry. They're summoning these powerful angels and archons and stealing their power and bringing them down to earth. Uh, again, with the pros- persecution and so forth, uh, not surprise, And people are people once you get that magic. Yeah. But, uh, and then, I mean, we're talking, we mentioned Lilith and, um, And Samael, I mean, are there would be some dark magicians who would want them to unite, so bring about the end of the world, our release. Could this be happening with certain groups? I I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I think I would uh, offer your listeners to read uh, Tracy Twyman and Alex Rivera's Baphomet, uh, the Templar the Templar mystery revealed. They make a good case of these sort of dark magicians throughout time. I don't think they touch upon Shabbatai Sevi and, and Jacob Frank. And I would disagree that somehow these groups are somehow behind the scenes. I think...
0: Uh, no, but the if, idea may survive beyond a specific group, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah... I wouldn't be surprised. The whole idea of uh, Jacob Frank is, uh, what, in the Zohar it says that the Messiah has to go to the gates of sin or through the gates of sin and redeem all that is sinful, bring out the light. And again, remember, we're talking about the Gnostics, the idea of making semen holy. You, you get that idea too, with Jacob Frank and their ideas and his ideas of a Messiah, that a Messiah has to experience or hold on to sin and therefore travel and become every religion in the world and embrace it and make that religion into something holy. So, um, You have this idea, again, as I call it, the Carpocratian Gnostic... uh, Hang on, hang on,
0: hang on. Has that anything to do with Harpocratus, which is obviously Hermes? No, I I mean Horus. Horus.
1: No, no, no. No, that's... It was just a, a Hellenized name. It's interesting because... The, some of the Gnostics, the border between the material world and the divine realm, the Pleroma, as they called it, they called him Horus. He was the guardian, some have said, but uh, no.
0: Okay, so Carpocrates and Harpocrates has nothing to do with each other.
1: No, no, no. Okay,
0: go back to Carpocrates. You were in the middle of uh, reasoning.
1: Yeah, again, I'm talking about this sensibility of uh, of uh, being, uh, um, what do you call it, uh s- again the sort of uh uh god i
0: Blank blanking
1: I'm my words transgressive yeah that's the mm. word mm. of being transgressive to become holy and to mock the systems of society at the same time making those systems or their breakdowns into something holy and experiencing every feeling that you have and so forth i think this vibe has definitely gone through history as a uh, Jason uh, Reza Giorgiani, when he was in my show, he showed how the Mazdakites, who were definitely uh, the descendants of the Carpocratians, a very libertine, mm. very hippie summer of love, they took over the Persian Empire for like two generations. Where, I mean, it was like summer of love for two generations. Wait, wait, wait,
0: wait a minute. The Persian Empire was originally Zoroastrian um, uh, Was this after that?
1: Well, the Zoroastrian, there were definitely sects like the Zervanites who mm. believed that Ahriman ruled this universe. So they were had some Gnostic vites. The Mazdakites had that sort of sensibility that this world was an illusion ruled by Ahriman. But they also had this idea that you had to be libertine and open to be able to break the bonds of uh, society and the universe, the karmic bonds. And the Mazdakites, I think it was the, not the Parthian, I think it was the Sassianat uh, dynasty in the Middle Ages. They, for two generations, uh, the Persian Empire, again, was like the summer of love. It was just drugs, open (laughs) sex, no structure. And, And the empire did not miss a beat. It still remained a very strong empire so I'm saying is this sensibility does appear throughout history whether it's uh, trying to destroy our modern times or not I still don't have enough evidence
0: yeah but I mean if free sex and drugs and rock and roll I mean if that's equated to evil that's just the fascists uh, having a problem with the anarchists (laughs) if you really are into this idea about bringing destruction to the world in order to and I, I have to say it's a redeeming quality that their ultimate goal is everybody being brought back to the light <laughs> i mean of course they, right. they lost their ways and you know and how to attain it but at least that, it's not just pure destruction but i'm thinking more of like of course pedophilia mass murder war torture all sorts of of really destructive stuff i mean that's the and that's the dark stuff that the the, the fascist weed Uh, spiritual currents are practicing, whereas they are smacking down on the more anarchist spiritual currents that just want... Uh, it's Hermes versus Satan in a way.
1: <laughs> yeah, bingo! Yes, or Arman versus Lucifer yeah, in the yeah. Rudolf Steiner system. Yeah, uh, yeah. and you're right. The, the Gnostics were certainly part of this anarchist vibe, and uh, it should be noted there were polemics against them that they were eating babies and right. uh, you know eating aborted tissue, but. There are no records in the, with the Roman authorities of this ever happening, and the Romans—trust me—the Romans were many things, but they hated child sacrifice or child abuse. It was yeah. that's why they destroyed the Car- one of the reasons they destroyed Carthage because of their worship of Moloch. So, the, uh, and one
0: of the reasons they did claim this about minorities so that they could whip up frenzy against them.
1: Exactly, exactly. So these polemics, just as people used to say in the medieval times that the Jews were eating children or that the Christians were, uh, you know, eating the dead in the tombs or something like doing black magic. It's, yeah, polemics, like you say, a way of controlling. I mean, at the end of the day, I would say, as Jung would say, if we don't bring our shadow up the darker aspects of ourselves and we don't confront them and integrate them. That's when the real problems start. That's when the pain, the oppression, like you said, that's when the, the, you get the pedophilia and all that. It's people not bringing all of us have this huge darkness within us that we need to, uh, address. There's no exceptions, and individuals like, again, the Gnostics, the Mazdakites, even the Franken-Jews at least were on as saying, okay, let's go deep within and see what happens. Obviously, there's always abuse. I think uh, the Jacob Franken, these guys would often do wife-swapping and orgies and all that, and <laughs> not all people are constitutionally strong to do that. I know I'm not.
0: No, not everybody are polyamorous, but uh, me personally, I'm very into the opposite, like one girl. But I'll have to say, if the way to save the world was... To swap my
1: wife, I would consider it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like John D. and Edward Kelly when the angels told him to swap wives.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which is probably just an excuse for suppressed polyamory. <laughs> yeah. But, but I would never like but? mass murder to save the world. So right. I have my, and I, I think there is such a thing as a universal ethics in uh, also in Gnosticism. But, but let me say, You mentioned Tracy Twyman. I think we have to add that uh, she's passed, right?
1: Yes, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: may she rest in peace. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm impressed you had Reza on your show. I considered uh, myself interviewing him because I fancy some of his stuff. But you mentioned something very important, the Union shadow. And you kind of started to answer my next question to you. Mm -hmm. But let me point out why. Because... If you look at the concept of the Feminine as a, you know, in ourself, Jung says, get up your shadow to become whole. Now, if you look at the humanity as a collective, that's kind of why we cannot suppress the Feminine, because we're kind of suppressing our own shadow, mm-hmm. because that's where she's been pressed now. And that brings me to the next question, which is partly answered there, although... It's not exhausted. And that is of complete reset. And just what is sacred feminine and why does it matter?
1: Uh, Well, the the sacred feminine would be, uh, again, we're talking about Jung, the animus and animus. Uh, What is the intuitive, fluid, passive, uh, gentle, Aspect of uh, the soul, of the human psyche. And of course, these. Characteristics will definitely shift, just like the gods shift from generation to generation. But uh, it all comes down to the idea we spoke at the beginning: wisdom and logos, uh, yeah. logic, uh, cutting logic, and uh, more descriptive knowledge. Uh, Interpret. Yeah, the the idea that there is descriptive knowledge and interpretive knowledge. Descriptive knowledge logic is great for creating uh, organization boundaries and all that, but interpretive knowledge is the idea that gives context to all knowledge and also gives us the ability to self-reflect and um, go on an inward journey, which is what wisdom is. So it's a question of the balance of the human psyche, which again goes to the collective unconscious. Which goes to the realm of the gods in heaven and all that. Again, I'm using different concepts. Use whatever concept you want. Heaven, pleroma, collective consciousness. It doesn't matter to me. It depends where you are. But it's a question of wholeness, individuation, and all aspects being together in the Gnostic myths. The once Sophia is cast out of the Pleroma, the divine realm is unbalanced. Uh, it's the old uh, the old myth where Zeus loses Athena. How does Athena come about? She sprouts out of Zeus's head. The great story when Zeus loses his wisdom, things just ain't the same anymore. So <laughs> Zeus, in a way, he lost his divine feminine. If you would,
0: yeah. You said logos versus what was it versus.
1: Sophia, Sophia. wisdom, reason and wisdom.
0: Yeah. So what I already perceive here is that, as Jung said, and he's correct, because it's the same when you study the elements. And I've studied polarity and I've studied magnetism and all sorts of in music and electronics. And there is a universal principle permeating everything. And that is if you divide stuff into, for example, male and female, then both of those have a shadow and a light side. So it's re- you, as soon as you have two, you already have four. Right. You have the, the positive and the negative feminine and the positive and negative masculine. But if you look at Logos versus Sophia, or, or as I said, <laughs> Saturn versus Hermes, right. you're kind of looking at structure via s- spontaneous or if you like facts via insight or if you like system via individuality. Or soma versus psyche. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think both extremes could uh, be bad, but you need a kind of a balance, right? And that's my philosophy anyway. And so in in my world, it's like this you have information, which is just scattered factoids. You organize them into uh, knowledge. So organized facts uh, or information or knowledge. Then applied, it becomes insight. And then when that is integrated, it becomes wisdom. This is just a terminology. It's not important. But if you understand the levels of enlightenment here, then Sophia would be the highest and the lowest would be actually Logos. That would be the structure of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we can start to sense a conspiracy or... uh, maybe not that's the right word but like a battle of intentions of philosophy because in this light you have uh, materialism as the ultimate anti-gnosticism because if you look at look at uh, polarity in terms of gender you have a centrifugal explosive way that energy can whirl. that's the Masculine, it starts from the center and it spreads outwards and downwards. That's the creation of the universe. Mm-hmm. But then you have the other way home, which is the feminine, because masculine and feminine is more about the direction of the energy. And the feminine energy is the centripetal where you start in the outskirts and you seek the middle. Now, I said the uh, last time we talked, you can see it in the symbols of Mars and Venus masculine and feminine I don't, I don't have to rehash that argument people go back and listen and then you understand okay so if you seek the center if you seek to get back home back to the unity that's the feminine approach the feminine way you,
1: yes, uh, yes then you,
0: you're seeking the one getting back if you seek to spread existence you know the ever emerging universe is always in creation it's spreading out it's it's good breathing out not in that's the masculine and that is the perspective of the materialists, because they don't look back, they don't look home, they don't want to get home, they want to <laughs> continue to uh, spread <laughs> the universe, so to speak. And and that's an, uh, a motive that I see of why we have to smack down the sacred feminine, because the sacred feminine wants to bring us home. How do you relate to that, uh,
1: Oh that's a wonderful. I love it. If we were in the uh, 1st century Alexandria, I would be knocking on your door saying, "Hey, do you want to be my hierophant?" That's good.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would point to Pythagoras, but okay. <laughs> Ipsi-dixit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Not me, not
0: me, him. <laughs>
1: No, I would say what you said uh, makes perfect sense and again, these systems work and whatever system works for you and uh, certain systems like Philo Alexander the Kabbalah, Chakma wisdom is a male principle, obviously in certain systems thoughts is a he's what a male wisdom God is. So I, yeah. I would say these systems are great, but also have some fun with them, bend them. I mean, life is but a dream and dreams shift because dreams are just the communication from our souls or the collective unconscious. So don't get too stuck on the systems and have fun with the systems. But I think what you said makes uh, perfect sense. That's the, the idea of wisdom in the Hebrew Bible and Gnosticism is ultimately Sophia wants to go home but because she, she's been cast out of the the higher realms and she's stuck in her dark aspects, but she also wants to take with her the divine sparks that are with, with us. She wants humanity to be part of her oper- rescue operation of restoring the universe, and uh, all of us should come home together.
0: Hmm. Okay, well put. So um, let's... Um speed up and go to Jesus and marry. Now, do you think that they were actually married and have children?
1: I'm, I'm kind of skeptical that uh, Jesus even existed. I'm more in the uh, mythicist camp, although yeah. second, I would be more in Jesus the magician. Again, we talked about this tradition of... Uh, Watching for the watchers, the Nephilim of uh, this ancient magic and goddess worship. So I'm kind of stuck with those two. But I would say I don't know about ma- maybe it's just a consort. That's who, that's who they would be. Um, so the, so
0: the wedding in in um, was it
1: uh, Kana Kahn, Kana yeah
0: that was uh, not actually a ritual where those two got married.
1: I mean, it's possible. Although it does sign, it does. Why do we have that in the Bible when it's just riffing off of Dionysius turning water into wine? I think it's more presenting Jesus as a, a Dionysian figure, right. a, a destroyer of established uh, structures and uh, socio-economic systems, just like Dionysius, the the breaker of boundaries.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see your emulgation or imitation that they did. And I raise you with the fact that <laughs> they did it on all. I mean, there's hardly anything original in Christianity except perhaps all the negative stuff that the Catholics
1: <laughs> <laughs> Even that.
0: dreamt up yeah. in the Middle Ages. But, but my point is they may have had, it's, it's not just like, let's just copy these texts and then present them in a local, uh, you know, locally adjusted version in this case, Jesus and Mary, it may just as well be the Jesus cult looking at the predecessors or even their contemporaries because they weren't alone, and these all these currents that we're discussing were were vibrant and alive also at Jesus' time, so it may might as well be let's implement this ritual in our own sect and yeah, marry, let's marry <laughs> <laughs> and I- imitate what others do and what people before us did to prove that we are in the right current, so to speak. Because I'm convinced that if he was real, he was not just initiated into the Essenes, which has been known for a while, but also that he was initiated into the therapeutics. Mm-hmm. The therapeutics were a cabalistic kind of Pythagorean kind of thing. And in that case, he would then then we would know already a lot of notions that he would carry. And so I don't think it's far-fetched if he existed that he did this ritual of marriage precisely because, as you say, it was done before in predecessing strains.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean... And you also have to think about these writers also had an audience that they needed to satisfy the great Mm. stories, just as uh, George Lucas uh, riffed off of Joseph Campbell, who was uh, uh, creating all this, uh, putting all these stories together. And Joseph Campbell was just uh, a Jungian. He took Jung and made it his own. but. For example, the story of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus. You've got uh, Jesus comes and he raises Lazarus, and you've got Mary Magdalene and Martha who are crying and weeping. Mm. When you look at it, you go, wait a second, this story is very familiar, because in, the, in some Egyptian stories, guess what? You've got Jesus, he's playing Horus. Lazarus is playing Osiris. Mm. Mary Magdalene and Martha are playing uh, Isis and Nephthys. Mm. So, uh, the writer, of course, would have known this and would have, uh, obviously, is he trying to prove to this Egyptian-Alexandrian audience the the holiness and the ancient tradition and, of course, the archetypal forces. He would have used that story, and they would have recognized it, too.
0: Hmm. This is interesting. You know, are are you familiar with the now-extinct Celtic church?
1: No, not at all.
0: Oh, you should look into it, because I'm convinced they were harboring um, Gnostic notions. They Just a brief outline of them. They were destroyed in around 1300s. And the last bastion of the Celtic church was actually Norway. We learned in school that we were converted from paganism to Christianity by the Catholics, but recent research indicates this is wrong. We were actually... The reason we managed to become Christians at all is that it was the Celtic Church, and that was very similar to the Norse. Ah, uh-huh,
1: very cool. Yeah,
0: and I'm I'm getting to something very interesting because the Celtic Church itself claimed, and by the way, when when they met pagans, it was so easy for them because look, we have similar notions. Only at that point, the Norse religion was very declined. So they, yeah, let's upgrade all this stuff, right? <laughs> they weren't sectarians; <laughs> they recognized this is the light. But you got more stuff than we're we're going on here. So yeah, well, let's adopt it. Now, the Celtic Church—they say themselves that they were founded when Jesus and Jacob, his his father, visited Ireland in um, uh, in, in connection with Jacob's uh, own uh, work. Uh, So, Jesus followed him as his uh, apprentice. And the interesting thing is that the spiritual impulses came basically from Egypt, but also other places in the Middle East, but especially Egypt. So, they had a lot of ancient notions, and they were heavily into geometry and numbers and and stuff, and we know that the Druids were... uh, uh, Celtic version of Pythagoreanism just like the Sufis or some Sufis were uh, Muslim versions of S- Pythagoreanism so I'm looking uh, and, and the Catholic Church needed to crush them they crushed them even before the Cathars so I suspect oh, really, yeah so I yeah and uh, like I said it was already in the When was the Cathars? That was the 12th
1: century, and that was the beginning of the Inquisition. The Inquisition actually started with the Cathars and then it moved on to Jews and uh, whatever others. And when was the Bogomils? That was before, I think, the Bogomils is around 10th century. They're earlier than the Cathars. Cathars is 12th century, or at least that's when they were finally, they were persecuted. So between the 10th and 12th centuries, you had uh, Bogomil's Cathars. Now, mind you, you also had the Manichaean presence uh, all over Europe through the late antiquity and early Middle Ages, so...
0: Okay, this is interesting. The main survival Gnostic groups after Catholic rise to power was Manicheans, uh, Bogomils, and Cathars.
1: Exactly. There's also a few others, the Paulinists, who uh, they thrived doing in the Byzantine Empire around there. But yeah, those three would be the main ones, and uh, they were. And def- in the
0: East, some survived too, right? We have the Sabaeans...
1: Well, well, survived in, in the Middle East, you do have the Mandeans. Mandeans. So they were called the Sabeans. You're right, but it's a mystery who the Sabians are. I mean, they appear in the Quran. Uh and You also have the CD. Do,
0: do you think they're connected to the Queen of
1: Sheba? uh don't know i mean not the the mandeans not sure there is good evidence that they have existed since even before pre-exilic times okay because okay. uh, scholars are noticing that in their texts the language is very ancient hebrew and how they talk about gods and angels so uh but i don't know about the queen of sheba
0: because there was uh, followers of her who had a similar name as uh, Sabaeans. Very similar. Not exactly identical, but very similar. So, some have yeah. speculated. But anyway, you were mentioning that Yazidi was surviving too, and the Sabaeans or Mandeans The
1: Mandians are, yeah. yeah the Mandians, the Yesidi are probably the only surviving Gnostic, uh, unbroken Gnostic lineage from ancient times. But yeah, the Cathars... The Bogomils and the Manichaeans were wiped out. In Asia, the Manichaeans thrived. In fact, they're probably till past modernity, but then they... In India, right? India and parts of China. Yeah, there are many statues. Uh, People think it's Buddha, but it's actually the founder, Mani. Mm. But uh, definitely, um, it thrived a little bit longer. But eventually, the Gnostics always get exterminated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's price. We can't
1: have anarchism. You yep. just can't have it. Exactly.
0: <laughs> that's the price of going the feminine way and not the masculine yeah, yep. way. yeah. Yes. But uh, uh, you said uh, in the Middle East, what about Druze?
1: I guess you could say, oh, the Druze, of course. Yes, yes, I actually interviewed. Yeah, the Druze would be another one, although they have become very secular. Uh, who's the, I mean, have you heard of Casey Kasem? No. The top forty guy. Well, he was a Drews. Uh, who's the famous actor who was um, crap? I don't know who he was.
0: Yeah, in. there was a Drews actor. That's true. No,
1: ER. Who's the actor? He was in. Uh, he was one of the Batmans with the funny Batman. Uh, what was his name? I can't believe he's one of the most famous actors today. Uh, oh, you think
0: of someone else? I think.
1: Uh, yeah, he was in uh,
0: Batman. I mean, this is a matter of simple googling. It's not that many Batmans.
1: Batman. He was in Batman and Robin. I mean, a
0: Oh, uh, no, no, not George Clooney.
1: Yes, George Clooney. His wife is Druze. Oh, right. Yeah, because the Druze still have a big community in Lebanon.
0: That's right. That's right. And uh, she's from Middle East. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, secular, you say? I guess just because there's so many, it's like if my parents were Druze or whatever they were, even Norse, uh, and I was. Grown up today, <laughs> the chances are will be very secular, right? No matter <laughs> what my parents believed. Yeah. I, I think that's the problem.
1: The Mendian and the the Yasidi and the Druze still keep their rituals and their tradition. Uh, of course, it's in danger in any change of time. So you could say that. I mean. You talk about the Sufis, uh, Sufi could easily be considered a form of Gnosticism, obviously the, the Kabbalah too, uh, certain forms of Zoroastrianism like Zervanism uh, is definitely Gnostic. So. Yeah, so
0: we're just basically talking about Gnostic ideas sifting into different religious expressions, Um like the Druze themselves claim Pythagoras were the founder.
1: Exactly. Yes. They, so now we're heard of from the classic terms. times.
0: Pardon? Uh, What's that?
1: Yeah, yeah. The Druze definitely uh, claim uh, a connection to the ancient classic times. Yeah. Pythagoras, Plato, and all that.
0: Uh, and there's also those who are convinced that Jesus was a
1: Buddhist. Yeah, I don't know where to come up with
0: that. <laughs> yeah, I'm more inclined to well I've I've read books about it, good arguments, but I'm I'm more inclined to say that in that time the Silk Road was active. So obviously impulses from the East came West. And like you just said, impulses from the West went East, right? In China and in India. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they didn't go around calling themselves this or that. A, a wise, someone who went the shamanic route or, or the mystery school route in the Middle East went East like a, a Polonius would. Okay, what? Right. Yogi, Buddhist, boon, Tibetan, whatever. I don't care about that. What's your approach to the divine? How do you do it? Why are you so wise? Okay, let me adopt some of this stuff. Let me even be initiated into your stuff. And then I go home. (laughs) So in that way, maybe he was a Buddhist because Buddhistic impulses existed before him. But he wasn't like with a membership card. I belong to the... (laughs) Buddhist religion or whatever, right? <laughs> and that's the problem. I'm at,
1: I'm at airports handing out prayer cards. Or exactly.
0: <laughs> Don't go into the wrong prayer room.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, yeah. Yeah? What was that? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you, you said it. I mean, Alexander the Great shrank the world. Uh, I always thought it was very interesting that Aristotle, of all people, yeah. <clears throat> he said that the Hebrews were descendants of the of the Hindu Brahmins. Brahmins. And mm. I always thought, very strange comment coming from Aristotle, like out of nowhere. I mean, what does he care, either one, right? And yeah. why did he make that connection? But it's true, there is evidence that, as you said, there was a big uh, movement east and west. We know the King uh, Ahsoka was uh, had sent buddhist missionaries in 300 bc to alexandria so yeah the world was already a big melting pot and even take that off all the table we can go right back to Jung. we have a depository in our unconscious you might call it the akashic records or whatever where we all have a shared wisdom that we can tap into uh, these archetypal energies and images and information so it is there for those who want to take the journey inward but of course like you said they can take uh, the journey to tibet if they want to do that too
0: yeah yeah uh, you mentioned ashoka i think he was the king who also said that uh, i want to invite all the world's wise men to my court and make like a, it was like Toledo before the day or, right. or Haran in ancient Haran. Yes. It was a version of that. Let's, let all the vice impulses come together to my court. I think that was a joke. But it's interesting what you mentioned about Brahminists, because there is this um, heretic Pythagorean lore. Mm. They say that there was connections between the ancient Brahmins and their own, because there's, people are not agreeing where the Pythagoras went to India. And I think it did because uh, Yeah, it was- and one
1: thing we do we make a horrible jingoistic arrogant mistake is we always forget the persian empire yeah. this vast land with full of uh thriving cities and roads and communication avenues mm-hmm. that really connected the east and west they had their own libraries a very powerful wealthy empire for centuries i mean pythagoras spent time in yeah. persia so did heraclitus that so we we can't forget that Persia was also a good bridge that brought East and West together.
0: Good point. Yeah, <clears throat> and I've always said that if I am ever going to write a fiction novel, it's going to be about how Siddhartha Gautama, Pythagoras, and Lao Tse met <laughs> in India.
1: Well, have you, have you have you heard Jason Reza-Jujani's theory? No, He says that the Buddha was actually a Persian mystic who fell out of favor with the uh, Emperor Darius, and he brought this sort of uh, Mithraic Gnostic religion into India. And in his book, uh, was it um, Persian Leviathan? Uh, I think that's the name of his last book. He makes a very good case because, again, uh, he puts, he finds out how this happens, he makes the case, but he also, you know, things like, why were there, uh, you know, assassination attempts on the Buddha? Well, unless you got political enemies, why? And so, but it's a good case.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Maybe I will uh, interview him. The reason I'm mentioning Pythagoras so much is because <clears throat> when we talk about the sacred feminine, if you look at the uh, esoteric orders throughout history, this is the only one who has always accepted women, even at the top level, mm-hmm. as equals. Yeah, very true. You have, uh, obviously, a very famous example is Hypatia of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. Many people count her as the last hierophant of the Pythagorean current. Obviously, pre-Socrats and, and Platonism or Neoplatonism are just fancy modern academic terms for Pythagoreanism. But in the case of Hypatia, she lived in the time when the church started to become powerful, and so and she was even friends with several Orthodox mainstream Christian. Uh, yeah, I mean, she was her t- the teacher even. I think one of the famous church fathers too. I mean, yeah, Basil. I forgot which one?
1: I think it's Basil. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she was definitely one of the most remarkable women in all of history.
0: Yeah. Do you know if, um, uh, at this point, uh, when was she living again?
1: Do you have the… Uh, let's see, I think she's fifth, I would say fifth century. She was about a generation after Augustine of Hippo, so I would say probably the fifth century.
0: Is that late?
1: During wow. the reign of Theodosius. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: I could be wrong. Yeah, third or fourth century. So she was out there.
0: Yeah, I would guess maybe third or, or yeah or fourth. But anyway, so she really lingered on for a while. Uh, but at this point, were Gnosticism still a thing?
1: Yes, at this point, Gnosticism had gone um, completely pagan, pretty much in Egypt, uh, because obviously Plotinus and Porphyry they slam, they, well, they call them their friends, but they're slamming their uh, their theology because of the, the whole world-hating illusion, and they think the Gnostics are a little bit too uh, openly sexual. They're not happy with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you have that movement, which they call the Platonizing Gnostics happening in Alexandria. But also what you have is the Manichaeans are having a huge success in the 4th, 5th century. So there, it seems the classic Gnostics are starting to shift to the Manichaeans and moving out. And of course, the church is putting down the the clamps on a lot of the sects, like the Valentinians in Rome and destroying their churches and all that. So you have a shift of the Gnostics going into uh, the Middle East, Mesopotamia, and turning into uh, probably becoming Manichaeans. Hmm.
0: So do you think uh, that the sexual magic or or, or philosophy or whatever you want to call it, uh, actually survived up to modern times? Uh,
1: Well, uh, it well, again, it's it's all about speculation. I think we've yeah. talked about the Carpocratians and the Gnostics, the Masdakites, uh moving to uh, other groups like the some of the Kabbalists and what they were doing. But as far as modern times, I don't see it. I mean, obviously, Crowley has his Gnostic mass, but I'm not sure. I think he was just basing himself off of a simple passages of the church fathers and so forth. I don't know if he really hits the essence or the church you were talking to about. So, uh, I don't know if it survives. I guess you can just have, uh, reconstructions.
0: Hmm. Yeah, could be reconstructions rather than survivals.
1: Right, right. I mean, the Mandeans and the ucd are—they take the more conservative approach to their spirituality, baptism, prayer, chanting, and other things.
0: Yeah, but they—they they couldn't practice this even if they wanted to. They would be screwed big time. Exactly. I mean, look at <laughs> yeah, who's those areas yeah. surrounding
1: them, right? Yeah, yeah. They had to, and
0: they already be called Satanists. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: yes, yes. Uh, the, By the way, I speaking, think that was. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: No, no, you go ahead.
1: No, I think it was Blavatsky who called the Yassidis Satanists, and wow. then Crowley was upset. <laughs> oh, yeah, he should be.
0: Yeah, are there other aspects of this we should
1: uh, discuss? Mm, trying to think. I mean, there's so much to discuss. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> but is there something you think belongs to this discussion that we haven't mentioned?
1: Uh, no, I'm going to. I don't know if you want to talk about the parallels of Buddhism and Gnosticism. I don't know if that's something you wanted to touch upon.
0: We could, because in Buddhism, obviously, it's uh, this detachment thing, and there's closer to celibacy kind of thing. So... um
1: yeah, of course I should mention, I was talking about dark wisdom. Yeah. And you've got divine wisdom and the other wisdom, again, the Anat, Lilith, uh, Fallen Sophia. You could also just call it forbidden wisdom. It is that... Uh, Uh, what are you going to find when you start exploring the darker aspects of yourself? What are you going to find when you get out into nature and get deep into the world? Uh, What a, you know, uh, wisdom always has a price, which aspect you take. Anybody who is wise has paid a very big price in their lives, just as the goddess wisdom has paid a very big price. So that's something to, to really understand. I mean, if i get annoyed these days is i hate when people tell me that this is a wonderful world when it's objectively not a wonderful world but at the same time i would go against anybody who said this world is a terrible place and everything sucks i said no mm-hmm. both a wise person can lift up these two ideas at once integrate them and say that yes they are both true would it uh who is Neil Bohr? Say the opposite of a profound truth is often another profound truth. Mm. So mm. I think that's it. Wisdom is to be able to hold these ideas. I would say ecstasy is to be able to hold these things up at once. Uh, you are in between. You are everywhere and nowhere.
0: Mm. I have to say, my first encounter with Gnosticism, I was 16 years old, 17 years old, and I was talking with another guy who was a student, and this was before the Matrix film, and he said, hey, I I really love this myth I encountered in the university recently. What? Well, it's these Gnostics. They say that the whole world is already, uh, we've all died, but we don't know it, so we trapped in a, a simulation, an emulation of the old world. And we wouldn't know it. Like, yeah, there was an old world. Stuff did happen, as history teaches us. But at some point, we were all trapped in... in it is the Matrix story, right? Right. So was he was he correct in, the, in that description? Can you uh, find Gnostic ideas that are so literally identical?
1: Yeah, you could say so. I mean, especially when you look at the Gnostic terminology. This, we are in a tomb. Mm-hmm. Well, Plato said the body is a yeah. tomb. We are sort of asleep. uh, We are dead. Uh, We we exist in the land of the dead, and so forth. I mean, and I don't even know how radical that would be. I mean, what is the great? No,
0: but the extra dimension is that there was a world that is as we. Think it was yeah. only that we're no longer a part of it, but we think we are.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the Gnostics in their text say that the demiurge created a copy world of the higher realms. It's a botched world, but it is—it's uh, exactly. a facsimile and it's a copy. And he's trapped us in here. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, obviously, if um, we live in a world that is—I uh, uh, mean, some Gnostics said. I think you said it, that we're living in the top level of hell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Origen said that, and the Gnostics would agree. This is hell.
0: Yeah.
1: But uh, what is hell?
0: Yeah, but but your point is very important that you just made, that what we create uh, is determining it. Because I, I would say there's nothing you can imagine of complete horror, pain, suffering that has not happened on Earth Or or is happening. And the same, uh, you could probably reverse it too. Mm. Uh, No, you can't. Because you can imagine bliss, which is not present on Earth. Because obviously that would be a non-material kind of condition. And some people have spontaneous glimpses of that. Others have organized glimpses of that. But when it comes to the opposite thing, I, I don't think... Is there anything you can fathom in in your ideas that is worse than what actually someone has experienced at Earth?
1: Good question. I always like to think these days, and I could change next time we talk, I always thought bliss is what you're supposed to be doing right now. That's simple it. I mean, I like what Carl Jung said, free will is doing exactly what you should be doing right now. Mm. Not what our ego wants, not what our animalistic, but when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing i think we are there we are in eternity and it's something children can do at any moment i feel it's something animals do every second of the yeah. day yeah. and it's something that we humans are always fighting and going against uh, our true will our purpose that's hell because every time <laughs> yeah. i resist and i go with my ego there's some sort of pain there and Why do I have to be in pain? It's not natural. It's not, it's not even, I'm not being divine. It's not natural. (laughs) Pain? Yeah. Or pain that I have inflicted on my psyche, on my soul, Mm. you know, to be fragmented, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm in a state of bliss. I'm in a state of uh, no mind. I am uh, wisdom and the logos are within me so um, so
0: so the Gnostics weren't big on the concept of like Nirvana, and, and even the Catholic Church, that, that's their big selling point, right? Just suffer this shit that you experience <laughs> and that we are actually putting on you because you will be rewarded in heaven. That's the move, the goalpost. You know, yeah. buy this product and regret later or get redemption later. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking the Gnostics were more down to earth. They, they didn't say that there is a higher ecstatic uh, existence that you can attain.
1: Well, they would, but that's what most people miss, the essence of the Gnostics. It was never about leaving this world or going somewhere like, uh, for example, Heaven's Gate. That's a very Gnostic group, but they missed one little part. In Gnosticism, as uh, it's been said, they saw themselves as being Christian bodhisattvas. You were supposed to go into these ecstatic states and go into these astral journeys beyond the constellation of Draco after going down to Hades and star maps and out of your mind and all that. But you were supposed to bring these energies from beyond into you to transform you into not just a divine being but a complete human being somebody who could heal somebody who could reason somebody who was at peace and who could help others wake up from the illusion that was placed on the universe by the demiurge so that's what people miss and it's yeah. really very alchemical obviously the, uh, the alchemists certainly are part of the tradition of the Gnostic just like Pythagoras is and so forth this idea of unification wholeness and uh, being the best the best version of yourself that's why they wrote and you the gnostics wrote in places like the gospel of philip you must resurrect while you are alive we have christ but each one of us must become christ on this earth
0: yeah that's the real meaning of uh, in the image of christ it's right. to become christ not to exactly not to worship him or follow him like that. But uh, it's interesting you mention alchemy because I have, uh, my last question is about that. But let me also say I read somewhere that sin, the meaning of that word just means to miss the target. I don't know if that's, I haven't verified that etymologically, but it kind of makes right. lots of sense if that's.
1: Yeah, hamartia It's uh, in the context of uh, somebody shooting an arrow and missing the bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. And it also means it also could mean character defect. Oedipus, his hamartia was his stubbornness, and he didn't want to see what was obviously in front of him. Or uh, Othello was too impulsive. His hamartia, the thing that kept screwing him up and played him right into the hands of fate, was that would be hamartia. Obviously, the Gnostics really thought it was simple. What does it say uh, mother ignorance is the mother of all evil. They thought being ignorant of yeah. who you are and what the world is was the greatest sin because just you're not awake. that's yeah. a sin right there.
0: but isn't that very similar to Buddhist concepts?
1: Yes. Yes, awakening and Buddhism and Gnosticism are important. Uh, seeing beyond the illusionary uh, aspect or this bad software of the universe that brings in so much suffering is important. Uh, antinomianism, uh, uh, inner journeys, all these things definitely are shared with Buddhism.
0: Mm, okay. So, Hirogamos, that's actually a term surviving in alchemy. And, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, In alchemy, yeah, uh, there's different forms of alchemy. Obviously, today is very popular with psychological alchemy, and you have, of course, the classical metallic mineral alchemy. Uh, You have spagyrics, which is plant alchemy. So you can uh, apply these principles. Alchemy is basically how can you accelerate the natural process. Uh, You're not doing something unnatural. You're just helping nature to speed up the process. Whatever that process is, so, they take these philosophical concepts that we've discussed today, like the sacred uh, feminine, and they put it into even such material phenomena as manipulating matter. But the, the point is, if it's true on one level, it's true on other levels, because as above, so below. And right. are you familiar with Peter Lavender? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Sure. I don't, I don't know if you've interviewed him, have you?
1: No, I have not had the opportunity or honor to do so. I don't know if he'd come on. I had Jason Horsley, and Jason kind of picked him apart. (laughs) Well, okay,
0: but then he should get on to defend himself. And by the way, if you need an introduction, let me know. Sure. But the point is, uh, he has a book called The Tantric Alchemist, which is very interesting because it's about a very famous alchemist called uh, Guneus Philoletus. I always mixed him up with Irina Philoletus. Is one of them. (laughs) But his real name was Thomas Wohan and his wife was Rebecca Wuhan, and they had uh, this double uh, kind of thing because they were both alchemists so they had the role of Jesus and Mary they, they were married and they worked together but in their work they were also applying these principles and this has been Peter Lavender's life work uh, to decode uh, the uh, the first time he he encountered it was by this beatnik philosopher. What was his name? Um, oh, I forgot one of one of those who who hanged with William Burroughs and and all those people. Timothy Leary? Not Larry, uh, another one with wild hair. Oh. His hair was uh, standing right up. <laughs> this was before punk.
1: I'm trying to think here. Uh,
0: he had um, I think he had a must kind of a moustache. <laughs> It just slips me, but both Arthur Edward Waite and this Jude later uh, hinted to this mystery, and so he's been working with this, and he's decoded it now. In after I think thirty years, forty years, and uh, in his book, the Tantric Alchemist. Because what Peter does is that he goes to uh, Tantric sources. And Daoist sources. And we didn't mention it today, but we should. And that's that within both Tantra in India and Daoism, esoteric Daoism in, in China, you have this notion of the sacred feminine surviving yeah. and being applied as a principle in these yogic or alchemical practices. And so Peter argues that this is a process you can use on yourself. This is like an, uh, you're transmuting yourself or, uh, as an organism, and then it becomes wholly gnostic.
1: Uh, very cool. Yeah, there definitely is the divine aspect prash Prashfiya. You can find that in the East, uh, Tara, Kuan Yi, and others. And of course, there is a very rich tradition of alchemy in China and other places, yeah. which would take. Not one show, but many shows.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. We've had uh, two already about it. And mm. one of uh, the engravings he uses as the main key is identical between Thomas Vaughan who lived uh, in the 1600s, and a much older Chinese image. Peter reads Chinese, reads and writes Chinese. So he studied oh, wow. these sources before they were. But now... There's so much modern translations of these ancient Chinese alchemical sources that it's much easier now to penetrate that corpus. But he he sees that Thomas Vaughan was aware of the Chinese thing and the tantric thing, Mm -hmm. and that this is a survival of this older impulse within alchemy. I think Seaman is involved, but uh, you can read about it in his book. And so He and his wife, they didn't go to China. They have had to have it, to get it, through Western esotericism. Although Peter points to a common source within Indian and Chinese. And if so, if it's through a Western strain, then there's not that many options to look at in the 16th century. Uh, Hermeticism would have to be a big candidate.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Hermes is all around. Yeah. I think, have you heard of uh, the connection of Odin and Hermes?
0: Well, Loki and Hermes, I've heard. But, yeah, I've, uh,
1: heard I've had some are starting to see more Odin and mm. Hermes. So, um, but again... Tricks to right? it. Yeah, and obviously Odin is also the great uh, – he had to go to some places to find that knowledge to help humanity, symbols and stuff. But, you know, again, another side side discussion for another time.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll wrap it up. But didn't they hang – I think they hanged him like uh, this uh, native Amero-Indian uh, um, sun dance ritual where you're being hanged from a tree, something like that. Very shamanic.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely happened to Odin, yeah. something like a crucifixion. Well, they crucified Prometheus, Jesus, uh, all these characters.
0: Mm. Okay, so this today has been our first attempt to uh, go into the, the Sacra feminine We're going to do more shows about it, among else with Scott Walter, Alan Butler, and Janet Walter, but could you subscribe to this statement that one of the most important functions of Acknowledging and implementing the sacred feminine today is to restore balance in humanity as a collective, the zeitgeist, the culture, all that stuff, but also individually, psychologically in human beings, then in the way of, of course, anima animus.
1: I would agree with that wholeheartedly, and it's something, and I've been banging the drum about this for years.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: Great. Nobody's listening, but that's fine.
0: No, no, <laughs> but uh, they can. Uh, Last
1: of all, my ego. <laughs> that's the what now. Least of all, my ego. The
0: ego. <laughs> yeah.
1: The great damage.
0: The great damage. Okay, let's go to the practical stuff now. First off, let's start with your books. There are two per today.
1: Yeah, for for Gnosticism, I have uh, Voices of Gnosticism and Other Voices of Gnosticism, and it's a collection of my writings plus. Transcriptions with uh, many of my guests like uh, Bart Ehrman, Karen King, many of the translators of the Nag Hammadi Library, Gary Lockman, and just a a whole bunch of other very cool characters.
0: And all of these people have been on your show.
1: Correct. They're transcriptions of our interviews. (laughs) The Lake Bagels, that's another one you would want yeah. to check out.
0: she's a big one. Yeah. One of the first uh, I read when it comes to the new translations. And, of course, you have the fiction novels. You you mentioned them last time, but you can give them a new Yeah,
1: Stargazer, Heretic, which is a, a vampire novel with a very Gnostic alchemical take uh, paired with a futuristic cyberpunk uh, post a post vibe i have a sort of traditional fantasy novel called uh, the executioner's daughter uh, so yeah so those are my whatever total of five books
0: but is your entire show present on youtube
1: no the the model I'm doing is uh I do the first hour and then for subscribers I will provide the next half hour forty five minutes right. so that's uh That's the way I've, the model I've taken for the last two years.
0: We didn't mention that last time, so that's important. So, yeah, that's a traditional model. So, you get part one for free and then part two behind a membership wall. That is correct. uh, As far as everything is released on podcasts, everything that is released for the public, it's also on YouTube, right?
1: YouTube, iTunes, iHeartRadio, pretty much all podcast providers. Yes, you'll find those there. and Or you can download an MP3 directly at my website, thegodabovegod.com.
0: Oh, okay. God Above God. <laughs> I love yeah, yeah. <laughs> so That domain was not taken, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so how long uh, does one of your episodes normally last?
1: Uh, between an hour and a half and two hours.
0: Okay. I think for many, that's long form. Not compared to us, we can easily go four hours, but, uh, it's still, uh, I think it's, uh, you need kudos to be able to attack Gnostic themes within just one and a half hour. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I guess there's not much shit chat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously Gnosticism has a lot of satellites. It's, uh, certainly a, relevant vibe today when you look at our culture when you look at our great myths of today whether it's uh, the matrix or the wizard of oz when you look at the influence of gnosticism on freemasonry and many of the occult movements many of the mystic traditions today so it's it's floating everywhere there is uh, again behind the scenes you've got those anarchists gnostics doing their thing at least in a uh Symbolical or metaphoric or spiritual way.
0: Mm. And we can be a part of that battle by implementing uh, narcissism in our own lives.
1: Yes, integrating the divine feminine.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. Join our ranks. Join our ranks. Anyone can become a general. That's our selling point. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, um if it comes to other projects you have going, is there any?
1: Well, I did start a side podcast called Finding Hermes, and uh, this was my reaction to the pandemic when i saw that the beyond whatever is going out there in the physical world that the collective and individual psyche was being threatened in other words uh, a depression mental illness alcoholism overdoses drug addictions were shooting up i decided to do my part and start this podcast that offers alternative And alternative solutions to mental health and addiction and the depression, uh, whether it's holistic or spiritual. So that's what I do. I I interview guests that show more uh, heterodox forms of treatment, as well as addressing the idea of depression and everything. And obviously, Hermes made sense because he is the god of the mind, but he's also the god of the tricks. He's the god of doorways. He's the god of transitions and in many ways he's the logos, but as they say, Hermes can lead the way or he can lead astray. He is both Mm -hmm. sanity and insanity. So, he seemed like a good god to uh, start a podcast on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it's it's not uh, like the other podcast, an academic exploration of Hermeticism.
1: No, it's personal stories yeah. and solutions and treatments that guests have. I've interviewed, for example, Mitch Horowitz. I've interviewed the professor of – uh uh, the professor at Wake Forest University, who is uh, a recovering alcoholic and manic depressive, I've interviewed uh, Gnostic bishops who were once in jail. Uh, very, it's wow. a very group, but everybody has an important story, which I help, which I hope helps others out there who are struggling in these very strange times.
0: What a wonderful uh, project! Uh, really, kudos for that. And, and you're not far fetched because we all know Hermas stuff. Very similar to uh, the healing stuff of Asclepius. Right. So, exactly. yeah, so there is a connection there. Yeah, pandemic, you say, uh, it's horrible what's going on. How do you think Gnostics would react?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, <sighs>
0: because, like, I, I made this point to Alex, and he was so impressed by this point,
1: uh,
0: because it's true. And that is that whatever has happened in the past, it's always been a local thing. I mean, you could be in the worst war zones, suppressions, whatever, but there will always be somewhere on earth where something else was going on. Mm. Now, today, for the first time, probably since the fall of the antediluvian civilization, we have something that is being implemented worldwide. There's nowhere to run. And now they're coming with all these mandatory things that we have to do in order to have a semblance of a normal life, like travel or go to a gym or to a concert, a restaurant. You have to prove that you've taken all the vaccines and blah, blah, blah. And they're really speeding up the control society. I'm not saying this is a evil conspiracy, although most think it is. (laughs) I'm just saying that's what's going on. Right. And, and even if you buy into their reasons for it, we have to save humanity, we have to battle the pandemic, all that stuff. Even so, it's still true that there's like, if in the past we were all in different computer games, <laughs> to use a bad metaphor, like someone was playing Sims, someone was playing Civilization, someone was playing uh, Axis and Allies, uh, whatever they're all called. Now it's like one big video game has gobbled up all the other video games. And, and the matrix has become one. You see what I mean?
1: Yeah, these are Gnostic times. You know, there is a, a hologram that is affecting everybody. There are levels of reality, mm-hmm. but it seems there's one existential truth that's hitting everybody at once. Exactly. Uh, what is real? What isn't real? Mm-hmm. Why? How are we connected, and who's pulling the strings behind there? Can we trust nature if the virus is real? Can we trust... There are leaders who all seem to be in cahoots, almost like they're working for one big -er. demiurge. So these are interesting questions and interesting times. But as I tell people, you still got to look within all the answers. uh, What did Joseph Campbell said? All the heavens, all the gods are within you. That's where the battle is won or lost. And that's where the answers will come to deal with this outward uh, world.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Last thing. I promise, last thing. Uh, I you- hope <laughs>
1: Because I have to use the restroom. Yeah, we'll wrap it up. The bladder ladder is not... probably I mean, killing you. <laughs> yeah, no problem, no problem. You should have asked for a break. But I, no, I was enjoying it. I was enjoying it, cool. so it's no big deal. Yeah, it's yeah. It's part of my life, even in interviews. Right.
0: Okay, because you skipped one thing. Alex, didn't he do a documentary with you or something recently where we talk about what's going on in your
1: life? Yeah, yeah, it's uh but I think he he walked away from the project cuz it was going to be a uh alternative podcasters and they would have segments with uh for example Greg Carwood at yeah. uh the higher side chats and then one on me, one on Gordon White, but he walked away, and I was the only one that got a segment.
0: Oh. <laughs> I hope there's no connection between those two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know so. But, uh, yeah, because I saw our trailer, I think, for the stuff he did
1: with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my, I think I that's what survived is, I think, five minutes oh. of footage with me. So, unfortunately, I don't know what happened. He couldn't get through the whole entire... Uh, project.
0: I think. Okay. I guess I should really bring this up with Alex, not with you.
1: Yeah, yeah. He he would have more details. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Well, too bad. I was li- really looking forward to that one. <laughs> okay, but there you have it, folks. Restoring balance with Miguel Connor. Run over to his uh, show. We didn't even mention the name, but it's called Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio.
1: Yes, it is. Thank you very much for having me on. Really enjoyed it as always.
0: And sent to you. As usual, i send you the stuff when it's ready.
1: Sure, sure. I know the drill, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you, Miguel. All
1: right, well, thanks, thanks for everything. For everything. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, Talk to you soon. Okay. okay. All right, take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. So far today, and I will, as usual, share with you some words of wisdom before parting, but let me remind you, in case you don't know, that per today, We are present at every podcast platform out there. So you do not have to go to YouTube to find us anymore. And at our podcast channel, you'll also find many shows not yet published to YouTube. It's very helpful for us if you subscribe to our channel. Obviously at YouTube. And by the way, double check that you still are because subscribers of independent media is being purged all the time. And also check that you hit the bell, otherwise you never get notified of our shows. And uh, of course, we need more subscribers at our podcast channel. So very helpful if you hit us up there too now sophia whose name in greek means wisdom represents divine mind and a female spirit connected to the different incarnations of sacred female wisdom as james hillman put it she is the sophia of wisdom the maria of compassion the persephone of destruction compelling necessity and fate, and the muse of inspiration As a central figure of Gnosticism, she emphasizes individual understanding and wisdom as the path to salvation and oneness with the Almighty. Its Christian followers worship her as both divine female creator and counterpart to Jesus Christ. Here, Christ is conceived as having two aspects. A male half, identified as the Son of God, and a female half, Sophia, venerated as the Mother of the Universe. In a Gnostic creation story, Sophia, seeing God's creation, desired to make something of her own. The being she formed was her son, Yaldabaoth, who had the face of a lion and the body of a serpent. Yaldabaoth, later used Sophia's power to create the material world. Because of her relationship to Yaldabaoth's creation, Sophia became known and worshipped as the mother of the universe. In another Gnostic myth of how the world works, Sophia lives happily with spirits of light, especially her twin brother, in the unified, limitless potential of her father's radiance, created by the twin powers of depth and silence. She's so dizzy with love for the creative source, that when she sees a brilliant shimmering light below, she flings herself down into the darkness, mistakenly following what she believes to be her father's radiance, fooled by a mere reflection. There, in the abysmal, unrealized potential of the world, she's trapped, separated from the light, the spiritual realization of gnosis, the knowledge of transcendent unity. There the powers of the underworld have their way with her, using, abusing and exploiting her, until all she knows is sadness in the struggle to return herself up to the light she has lost, but not forgotten. She gives birth to a bunch of bad boys, demigods, called Archons, including the worst of them all, the Demiurge, who becomes the creator of this world, inflecting it with pride, ignorance, fear, and his lust for power and pleasure. But Sophia remains present, and in her resurgent power, she brings great beauty and spiritual potential to the earthly realm and its inhabitants. Witnessing the irresponsible creation of the world by her errant offspring, Sophia conceals consciousness in the body of the demiurge, first man, Adam, who by the way means human being, and then brings it into the world as Eve. Finally, Sophia breaks free and ascends back up to the true light of life, raising humanity with her ever so slightly. But she refuses to abandon the sad world of humans, and so she divides herself, keeping a part below, ever present and available for the enlightenment of all. We may call that Gaia, the consciousness of the world. Back up in the celestial realm of spiritual light, Sophia rediscovers Gnosis by joining her twin brother in a marriage of reunification, balancing the masculine ego of unrealized potential and uniting it with the divine feminine, made ever more powerful by adversity, into an androgynous whole, a complete person full with the wisdom of the transcendent unified light. Sophia appears in many passages of the Bible as the female personification of wisdom, though her roles and popularity in Judeo-Christian traditions have changed throughout time. She is also celebrated in Kabbalah as the female expression of God. Indeed, the goddess of wisdom has appeared in nearly every society in different manifestations, being the giver of wisdom in so many forms, including Athena, Greek goddess of wisdom and military victory, Minerva, Roman goddess of wisdom and war. Tara, the Buddhist goddess of compassion, who teaches the wisdom of non-attachment. And Inanna, an early Sumerian goddess. She's Shakti in Sanskrit, the powerful Hindu personification of feminine wisdom and the personal and collective linking soul as Atman realized in the transcendent state of Samadhi or Gnosis. She is the compassionate Bodhisattva in Buddhism returning to light the path to Nirvana or Gnosis. Personified by the deity Gua Niin, she is both Mother Mary in her ascendant form and Mary Magdalene as the earthly companion of the Christ potential in Christian Gnosticism. In Jungian psychology, she is the unifying power or individuation of both the feminine and masculine archetypes, anima and animus, and of the lower self of the psyche with the higher spiritual self, Gnosis she's been venerated by various religious figures throughout history including Hildegard von Bingen whose theological writings addressed Sophia and the concept of divine female wisdom in nearly all representations of sacred wisdom some aspect of Sophia can be found she like many other goddesses even became integrated into the worship of the Virgin Mary in the middle ages There has also been scholarly effort to look at her historically within the context of Christian religious practices, texts and images. One such interesting discovery relates to Michelangelo's painting on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Some scholars and arts historians believe that the female figure on the God's left arm in the creation of Adam is in fact Sophia. Acting out her role as the female being in the creation of life and man. This is the sublimely sophisticated philosophy of the Sophia myth, a path. That leads not only to self-realization, but also to an understanding of the feminine heart and soul of the earth. For it's only in the feminine, the channel of creation into the world, that humanity finds the power and compassion necessary to overcome the darkness of ignorance. But it's it just ain't easy getting there. Although... Less of a problem in the ancient world where prior to the ongoing suppression of the feminine principle it was equivalent to the masculine in every intellectual and spiritual respect. Jung recognized it as a myth of reflection that mirrored collective and individual psychology, not just as a metaphor of following God's reflection down into the abyss, as an act of necessary self-centeredness and hubris, eventually leading to a humble redemption. He also recognized the myth as the precursor of a many-layered structural pathology of both our individual search for health and wholeness and of the cultural and spiritual potential of humankind. He saw the myth as an illuminating structure which, when shined on the collective unconscious, could guide the realization of our spiritual evolution and the metaphor of what Campbell called a psychologically affective image transparent to transcendence. If you allow her to take you to that place, down across the tracks that we all must visit, where we become painfully separated from our true potential and exiled from what we are really capable of becoming, then from there she can show you the way back up, the way to get in touch with your divine soul and the soul of the world and unify it with the willful aspect of ego. Then the separation becomes a matrimonial solution, where you may discover that the myth is a means to learning a big secret of you, of me, of us and of a whole world. Who is Sophia? Brothers and sisters, she is you and me thanks for hanging in there for your support donations and to my team I've been your host Al sincerely signing off but soon to return before you know it be seeing you
1: number one